This is episode 278 of the Beyond the Food Show, and today we welcome for the second time Evelyn Trevally, and we're going to talk about co-opting of intuitive eating and the solution to ensure there's never any fake intuitive eating in your life. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Going Beyond the Food Show. I'm Stephanie Dodier, clinical nutritionist and certified intuitive eating counselor, creator of the Going to Beyond the Food Method. And after a 25-year dieting career that started at the age of 12, I decided to say hell no to diet culture and hell yes to living my life to the fullest in my now body. And I made it my mission to help smart, successful women like you live confidently, unconditionally, right now. Ready, sister? Let's do this. Hey, if you're new to the Going Beyond the Food Show, our podcast roadmap has been designed with you in mind. With over 250 episodes available to listen, it can feel overwhelming to know which episode to prioritize for you. The podcast guide answers the top five questions women have when they enter our world of going beyond the food to unlearn diet culture. To get your free copy of our podcast roadmap guide, head over to stephaniedoziate.com forward slash roadmap or use the hyperlink in the show notes. I'll see you on the other side. And welcome back, my sisters. I have a treat for you today. And it's an honor for me to be able to bring you this treat. Her name is Evelyn Traboli. She is the co-creator of Intuitive Eating. She's my mentor and my teacher in the world of Intuitive Eating. And it's her second time on the podcast. If you missed her the first time, you perhaps want to go back to this episode first, episode 186. That's when we talked about the basic of intuitive eating. This episode is going to be the next level up um, to this first episode that we did together. We're going to talk about how diet culture is more than an intellectual process and requires embodiment. This is going to be very, very relevant to any health professional wanting to bring in intuitive eating in their practice or a general non-diet approach. So we're going to get, quote, geeky in this episode, but we're going to talk about what is embodiment, how does it differ from intellectual knowledge, but also the intersection with trauma and how dieting and diet culture is in both of our practice, we see it, right? It's a clinical observation, as we say, that it acts as a trauma in our body, in our nervous system. And want to talk about how that impacts our relationship to food. Now, just a few days before recording the interview, there was this big event, <laughs> the best way I can describe this, where a very popular diet guru launched a book, co-opting intuitive eating. So we talked about that too. So I got her take on this phenomenon of co-opting diet culture and why it's happening and what is the best way we, professional and the general woman who's been a crying dieter her whole life, can protect ourselves from fake intuitive eating. So without waiting any further, I'm going to introduce you to 
Evelyn Triboli. And I just want to put on your radar her new book. We talk about it in the podcast, but her new book, Intuitive Eating for Every Day. It's the best tool for any of you listening right now that are on your own journey of intuitive eating without any support. So if you're doing this on your own, A, you want to read the book Intuitive Eating, but two, you want to grab our new book that comes out on March the 16th, 2021, because this is what's going to coach you for the year following you learning, practicing, and embodying intuitive eating. It's the best follow-up to her book, Intuitive Eating, like the 10 Principles of Intuitive Eating. So without any further ado, here's a conversation between me and Evelyn Triboli. Hey, Evelyn, welcome to the podcast for the second time. Thank you. I am thrilled to be here to spread the message and love of intuitive eating. (laughs) And to celebrate your new book. Yes. Yeah, I'm so excited about it. I have to tell you, it was a... uh, Talk about an act of love. You know, I wrote it during such a difficult time in my life with the pandemic, the social justice uprising, and my father was dying, you know, and there were times I actually could not write where I didn't know if I was going to finish the book. And I didn't want to fake it. I just want to put words on the paper. And I'll tell you something. It it, it kind of surprised me. I, I was in the studio recording the audio for the book. I'm very happy about that too. And at the very end, I'm reading the acknowledgments and I start breaking down like a little baby crying, you know? And I said, oh, you know, let me get myself together. And boom, I start crying again. And I said, well, let me, let me read the rest of the part. And, and it felt like the end of a good movie where you, you saw all the ups and downs, you got through to the other side. It was kind of like this deep breath of, oh, you know, I made it. I'm I'm here, and I and I produce something in the world that's really good that that touches my heart. And when I say really good, I don't mean to come from a place of arrogance, but something that I feel so good about it. It's like it feels like a piece of me. You know, did it help with the grieving process to write the book and like get to the end and record the audio? Did that move you through your grieving of your father passing? You know, I don't know that it did, to be honest. And, and the most difficult part of, of the grief process wasn't the fact that he died. You know, he was oh. he was 80. Okay. It was the fact that because of COVID, he was hospitalized in March 2020. We could not see him. Oh. First time I saw him in person was, was the day he took his last breath. And I'll tell you, that was a gift that the hospital let us in. Um, and that's the part that was really hard. It felt very inhumane um, to not be able to see or connect. And because he was hard of hearing, even if we tried to call and do FaceTime, it was really difficult. So it's hard on the oh. on the heart and the soul. And I think about all the families that have lost loved ones to COVID. In this case, it wasn't COVID, but the, but the pain of that of what that is to not be able to grieve in a proper mm. way or support somebody. Yeah, because that's part of the grievance process to be with the person as they're going through their final Yeah, time. so I, I think what, what it did, and this, this tends to be a truth for me, is anything that I have overcome or struggled with, it deepens my humanity, it deepens my compassion for human suffering. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's suffering that we can't avoid, and then there's suffering that we inflict on ourselves. And this this it's I feel deeply about this work and it 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 really moves me when I get unsolicited DMs and emails from people like, oh my gosh, this changed my life, you know, or the health professionals I I train, they'll say it changed my life and now I want to change other people's lives. And yeah. this is how we get cultural change. We are the culture, you know? Yeah. And so we won't go through and talk about intuitive eating with the 10 principle. We can refer back to the first episode for that. We're going to move okay. on to the next place, which is really 
notion of embodiment of intuitive eating. So yeah. we can intellectually read the 10 principle and read the book. That's one step. But the most impactful is when we embody. And when I read the book and the way you have it formatted, because it's for a whole year of practice. Oh, the new one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the new one, like you're, the one you're releasing. When are you releasing? What's the date? It comes out March 16th. That's okay. the book birthday date. Yeah. And I'm, I'm beyond excited, but go on. I love hearing what you're saying. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a journey. It's like, you got to read the book of the 10 principles of intuitive eating and understanding each one of them. That's your first, well, your fourth edition of the first book of intuitive eating. But this one, it's like the practice of it day in and day out. Yeah. So we take the philosophy behind intuitive eating and embody it into our life. That's what I got from that book. Oh, thank you. And you know what, what it's like? It's like these little bite-sized nuggets for every day. You know, I think the Intuitive Eating 4th Edition, it's a big book. There's a lot of deconstruction and unlearning. There's the science. There's the case studies. The workbook is, is very deep. And this, these are like little bites, you know, and I've had, I've had patients say, you know, I wish I could just take you in my back pocket. <laughs> and I've had so many patients write down things I say, and they read it back to me in session. And they're, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> I know. I've actually said that. Um, and, and so that's how this book evolved. You know, I was, I was this constantly thinking about my patients, thinking about my followers uh, in terms of making a difference to them, having an impact, these little, little nuggets that for the day might make a difference and help you hold on because we are living in such a toxic culture right now with diet culture, just everywhere and, and shape-shifting, you know, yeah. and, and there's more to life as you know, that's, that's the one that really gets me is people will say, wow, I cannot believe how much brain space has opened up for me. I didn't realize how anxious and preoccupied I was. And that's one of the points I made in this book. It's the first time I've, I've actually made it so explicitly that when you're in the throes of diet culture, there's a profound level of self-absorption and you're not even aware of it. Uh, and and I, I say it very carefully because I don't want to shame anybody, but you know, if you're the one that's talking at the party or at, at just everyday things, talking about your latest, greatest diets and people's eyes are glazing over and they don't know how to change the subject. I have, I have techniques on that as well. And that's a hard thing to come to grips with. But what I say is part of your journey. And I think that's part of why it feels so life-changing because when you get out of that self-absorption, you start now connecting with yourself and with the relationships in your life and the things that are important to you, you know? And it becomes a life transformation. I was interviewing yeah. Alyssa Ramsey, who released the book, Unapologetic Eating. Yeah. And the last chapter is Unapologetic Living. Love and it. That's exactly what I find, what I found intuitive eating did for me. I changed my life, how mm -hmm. I lived my life. And the work that I do with my client, because of the depth of work we do, that's what happens. Yeah. Their whole life change. Yeah. And you, and you don't know it at the time. You don't know it at no. the time. And that's, that's what's so profound and so joyful. And I've, it's funny, I've had clients whose family members have said, you know, I don't know what you're doing, but I want yes. some of that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting because I, some of our students and we have a mentorship program for professional, but I have some, I have two psychologists in this edition of it. 
Mm-hmm. And so they're very familiar with the trauma piece, like they're trauma practitioner. Yeah. And we had this conversation about diet culture uh, being a trauma. Oh, absolutely. You know what? We talk about that in, in, in the workbook. I, I'll never forget the first time I put that out there. I was speaking at a conference yeah. that I really view diet culture as a form of trauma because you are you are threatening the life of your body at a cellular level. I know it's intentional. You're doing it on, on, on your own. You're choosing to do this, but on a biological level. And then because when you start looking at the culture itself and all that invites in, the bullying, all these kinds of things, you lose your, your agency. And what I'm seeing in my practice now is bona fide trauma, trauma, you know, complex trauma around food oh. and body shaming and someone's family of origin or might have happened with a healthcare provider and and so on. And, and it sometimes gets missed in their own journeys with their therapist. And so it, it, it opens up, you know, a broader way of, of healing. But as you know, if we haven't healed ourselves deeply, it's hard to take someone any further than you've taken yourself, you know, and, and that's an important message to all of us practitioners and whatever yes. work that you're doing, you know? Yeah, we, we can only take our, our client or a patient in the case of RD as far as we've taken ourselves. That's why the way we do the mentorship program for us, we put the practitioner through the intuitive eating journey. Oh, that's awesome. Like they see my client's portal. So they see how I teach it and they do the exercise, they embody it. And they struggle, quote, the same way as a client, like when they have to confront their own internalized fat phobia. Yeah. That's an experience. When you do that, you can connect with your client at a whole other level. Well, and, and that's, you're, you're raising a really good point. So I say to all the health practitioners out there listening, and I've, I've worked with a fair many as clients who will, oh, who will say, you know, they feel often there's a lot of shame that I've got all these tools from my profession. Why can't I use them for myself? And I'll say, well, there, that's, there's a blind spot there. And the aspiration I would love for you to consider or invite you to consider as, as you are struggling with your own humanity and all that comes up with that, the frustration, there is transcendence and wisdom that you will get from that, that connects with your client at a deep and compassionate level that you cannot fake. So it's a form of experience that will deepen your work. And I find sometimes when you look at it like that, it gives more meaning to your own suffering, <laughs> you know, on yeah. this because it's frustrating. I've had, I've had a lot of people so frustrated, like, why can I get this? And what you said in the very beginning is very true. You can have the intellectual understanding, but if you haven't embodied it and opened up the doors on what that all means, including setting some boundaries with family members and other people around, uh, you know, uh, a fat talk in terms of talking, having jokes and making compliments about people's bodies or gossiping about people's bodies and foods and, and so on. So it's, 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 it's profound. It's profound mm-hmm. inner growth that ends up happening. But then ultimately, one of the things I'm looking at is how do we change the culture? Because so much yes. of this is actually institutionalized in our policies and organizations from school to healthcare. There was a doctor today, I just love him, he's an endocrinologist out of New York who posted how this is such a flawed system. And I'm there, yes, how do we change a policy? <laughs> Because this is what I'm seeing a lot of people are up against now. It's not just the fitness industry, the beauty industry, the weight loss industry. It's now healthcare practitioners who haven't uh, got the message or read the body. And it's a body of research. It's not just one study that says, hey, dieting sucks and messes you up. <laughs> it's a body of research that's gone on for quite some time. You know. So, so let's talk about this because uh, we're recording this on March the 3rd, but 
10 days ago, there's a book that was released by a doctor called Intuitive Fasting. And part of this book, um, the author co-opted intuitive eating as being part of intuitive fasting. So I'd love to hear your first thought on that. And then we can take the discussion from there on what can we learn from that? You know, I, that's actually a really good question. What can we learn from this? Because this is not the first time and it's not, sadly not going to be the last time. I, I keep, honestly, on a personal level, I keep getting shocked on what? <laughs> we call that sleeping, you know, uh, <laughs> when, when, when we have no desire to eat, but to force and go against our natural body's desire to, to honor hunger is so, so sad. And so I made a decision. I've got an amazing social leadership mentor and coach, Desiree Attaway. And her, one of her mantras, actually, I wrote about it, is are they reachable, teachable, and ready? And that's when I decide if I'm going to engage, you know? And so, because I'm in here for the long haul, I've had people ask me, how do you still, how do you still do all this work that you're doing? And I, I've got a deep passion for it. I do. But if we're not careful, if I get entangled in everyone who's co-opting, then I'm not moving forward in the work. I'm too exhausted to go put out my, my stuff in the world that could actually be helping people, you know? And so that's the reason why, rather than just get into a, a fit over this, I just decided to dust off and update a post on how to spot fake intuitive eating. How can I help you get your agency? Because going back to what we were saying orig originally, if we look at diet culture as a form of trauma, and then when we have these other things happen, it, it feels like our agency is is taken away from us. How do we get agency back? Well, let's let's find out what is diet culture. How can we find it? Uh, and 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 or how can we how can we identify fake intuitive eating? And one of the things I'm finding is because a lot of people are onto the fact that diets don't work, and more importantly, they cause harm. They cause harm. There was a big study that just came out of the UK spanning 30 years looking at 22,000 adolescents, and that's what they found. Diet doesn't work, causes harm. One of the harms is linking with um, depression. So diet culture and the diet industry and everything that goes with it, it's like, well, we got to stop saying diet. we got to stop saying weight loss, you know, mm -hmm. and they'll say other types of things and they'll, they'll talk around flowery language. And so I think that what that means is we need to be careful consumers. Is this, is this really true? true you know and 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 i think part the the reason people got so up in arms about this was also releasing this book during eating disorders awareness week of all mm. times because we know eating disorders is um what one of the risk factors is dieting and especially for adolescents it's one of the fastest tracks that 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 can get you there and i would argue that right now we are living in a time that that uh, eating disorder behavior has become so normalized in our culture and so it's not a surprise and it's sad that the rate of eating, the incidence of eating disorders has doubled in the last time period that it's looked at. It has doubled. I think part of that is because diet culture has just been so toxic and it has also been hijacking uh, healthcare as well. You know, and there's nothing wrong. I'm going to be really clear. There's nothing wrong with wanting to feel good, but we need to be, if that's your story and you want to pursue health and we don't, health is not a moral obligation as well, uh, but you want to do things in which you're also not harming yourself and things that 
that are sustainable and pursuing intentional weight loss is not sustainable and causes harm and increase actually the, the most predictable thing to, to gain more weight is, is, is to start a diet. And I've tried to be careful when I have these conversations because I don't want to be reinforcing weight stigma, but I find with some health professionals, that's how I get their attention is like, look at the data. This very thing you're trying to do causes the opposite. How, why, why, why are you doing this? You know, and we got to get this message out. I have uh, spoken at many conferences where health professionals think they're exempt from this data. And it's like, they don't realize, you realize that the majority of these studies on the inefficacy and harm of, of intentional weight loss has actually been under medical supervision. We're not even talking about the fad diets. You know, I think that's something that really needs to get, to get looked at. Why do they think they're exempt? I'm curious. Because they're a health professional, I'm doing it properly, oh. and I'm doing it. I'm doing it in a healthy way, and so that's why I say. And actually, I'm not the only one that has said this. Other researchers have come out and said there is no such thing as healthy dieting. There is no such thing. You can pursue healthy behaviors, and what your body do, what your body's going to do, your body's going to do. We have got to get off this agenda. It has hurt and harmed so many people by even saying body size is a disease when we don't have the research to actually support that. And the metric used to support it is incredibly flawed and racist as well, racist oranges. So let's get a little bit technical and then we'll come back to the, how can we help people listening to this podcast? But yeah, so people are allowed, is intuitive eating a trademark name? You know, that, that's a really good question. Or anybody's able to use it? Or? So here's the really interesting thing. When we wrote intuitive eating, We didn't, ha we didn't have a vision in the future about these kinds of things. And we got actually very excited anytime the word got mentioned because it's like, yay, people are talking about it. And you cannot, you cannot copyright a title. And so you're right. So the, 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 where you can go is trademarking. And by the time we started thinking about trademarking, this is 10 years after the book is done. And trademarking, we had a shot at that, but what it would take to defend the trademark is a lot of negativity, sending out cease and desist letters, you know? Yeah. And one of the things that was good about not trademarking it, I think it made it more appealing to researchers. You know, it was in 2006, Tracy Tilka did the first, created the first intuitive eating assessment scale, which to me was a seminal milestone for intuitive eating because it really launched it into the, to the research world and gave it validity. And now she has updated it. And now we have over 140 studies on our work. I don't know if, if anyone would take the time to research something that was trademarked. However, because of the harm that's coming, uh, we have trademarked some terms. We just got the trademark for the phrase certified intuitive eating yes. so that people can't use that and call them now a, a certified intuitive eating coach because we've seen harm. We have seen health professionals oh, yeah. say that they do intuitive eating. They may have read the book, but they are causing harm. They're now saying, well, you have to count macros and do intuitive eating or you have to, they, they make up their own, uh, their, their own thing and you can't, Diet culture doesn't get to change the principles of intuitive eating. They don't get to name it. They don't get to say what it was or, or change it. So we, and we also trademarked uh, the original intuitive eating pro. So that to, just to help, to help people that we've trained for the consumer to be able to, to identify them, you know? And so that's, that's where we're at. I also think because it's, it's so funny. I'm having a freeze frame moment. I still remember when Lisa and I were discussing very intensely the title of our book. The original title was called, Oh my God, diet backlash after uh, I was very inspired by Susan Faludi's book called Backlash and, and the treatment of women and what's going to happen as a result of that. And I thought, oh my God, there's a backlash that happens with dieting. And our publisher loved the book, but they wanted us to change the title. 
And, and Elise and I were going back and forth. And I remember her saying, let's call it the natural eater. Like, oh, for goodness sakes, no way. The people will be thinking about alfalfa sprouts hanging out of your mouth and walking around in, in Birkenstocks. And there's nothing wrong with Birks, by the way. And so, we're, so what happens when you have these kind of exchanges, and I actually don't remember who came up with the, the term intuitive in this process, but it was, a, it was a definitely a joint process. And it stuck. And now to see this fast forward, to see that there's over a million hashtags on Instagram, there's over oh my god over 200 million hashtags on tiktok on intuitive eating it has come into our culture but as a result of that because it's become so popular there's it's it, there's also what i call the street version there's a lot of uh, misunderstandings and confusion and i don't fault anyone for the misunderstanding or confusion i can see why people think it's just a food free for all party fest you know <laughs> Well, because that's what's on hashtag. When you look at intuitive eating hashtag on social media, it's donuts and burgers. Like, yeah, that's not intuitive eating, but that's the image people have. And it, but it's part of it. And I find people celebrate that because they're, they're still in disbelief. I can't believe I can eat this food and it's not calling my name. I'm not having (laughs) loss of control eating. It's like, holy moly. Whereas honor your health with gentle nutrition, which is the 10th principle, that's not so exciting to write about. It's like, ah, big deal, you know? So I get it. I get why that's happened. And then between all of this is all the, the misunderstanding. And then we have the nefarious diet culture that actually co-ops our, our stuff. So it's that my, my biggest concern out of all of this is the harm it causes people and the confusion it causes is that's that's the problem and that's why we need we need to name it also in such a way that we're not giving those people more more traction and more publicity you know so that's why i don't name the things uh, of the the commercial programs i do sometimes to help people be aware that we're not affiliated Mm -hmm. with any weight loss program we're not affiliated with anything that's trying to change your body or count foods or food groups or points or macros or all these kinds of things you know what really confused people, because I, I was receiving message about this, is at some point last week, there was an um, eating disorder counselor, a certified eating disorder counselor, I think was her title, who supported the book. Oh, my God. So, and that got me that this is a great conversation to have because not all treatment of even eating disorder are the same. Some people will adopt the intuitive eating method as a way of healing eating disorder, but not all are using that. Am I correct? Well, here, you know, this is where I, I feel I can step into this because I'm Girl, actually, it's, it's one of my specialties. I'm yeah. also certified intuitive, e- oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> <We're both having> <laughs> a certified eating disorder specialist and a supervisor, meaning I supervise psychologists, dietitians, and, yes. and this is, this is offered through IADIP, the International Association of Eating Disorders Professionals. Um, and I would say there are common, there, there are many pathways, you know, there's many models, dialectical behavior therapy, ACT, acceptance and commitment theory, there's many, many tools, but there is nowhere any endorsement of fasting or seeking weight loss for eating disorder recovery. That is a problem. And so I... You know, I'm, I'm always careful on anything I read on social media because you don't know what part has been yep. excerpted, take it out of context. But if this is actually what happened, then, then, then I would say this is really a problem um, because I don't know any eating disorder professional who would, who would uphold and support that. I think it's really, really problematic because we know, uh, in fact, you know, we have the, 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 one of the biggest studies ever that, kind of, that showed this, the Minnesota starvation study, you know, on, on conscientious objectors during World War II, you took men and cut their caloric intake in half. They were still eating. 
And they they created eating disorders as, mm-hmm. as a result of this. They were obsessed about food, collecting recipes and cookbooks in the 1940s when food wasn't even cool, <laughs> you know? So we have this body of research showing harm. And so to put anyone in any kind of diet or a restriction kind of thing, that is not an ethical treatment for eating disorders. So I think that's really problematic, you know? Okay, so let's move on to how do we help people distinguish if we can say the right intuitive eating from the co-opting of diet culture of intuitive eating. Yeah. So one of the things that I say, if you're ever in doubt, <laughs> go to the source, you know, and there's free sources. I mean, we have our website, intuitiveeating.org. We've got a free intuitive eating community. It's peer-to-peer support that you can also get access through our our, uh, our website. And we have over 22,000 people in this group. So go to the original source. In fact, one of the things I find, if you just read the actual 10 principles, not even the book, just read the 10 principles. The first principles reject diet mentality and diet culture, basically. Second one is honor your hunger. And so if anyone is, is, is violating those tenets or redefining them, then you can say, wait a minute, how is that intuitive eating? If I'm hungry right now, and my body needs nourishment. How is denying my hunger intuitive eating? It is not. It is not. It is not. And so, you know, I say if it, if it looks like a diet, smells like a diet, has qualities of a diet. So what I'm seeing right now is this evolution. I'm, uh, maybe devolu. Is there a, is there a word devolution or <laughs> devolving? And that is what we're seeing is gaslighting. And that, that, that is maddening. They're gaslighting the consumer by saying, this is not a diet. And it's not just intuitive eating that's been co-opted. So psycho- psychological models, oh, this is psychology, you know, oh, this is mindfulness. And I, and I by the way, I've been very trained in, in mindfulness practices and a lot of psychological models as well. And I can tell you it's utter bullshit. And my, my concern with this for people who are thinking, oh my God, this is psychology, or this is mindfulness, or this is intuitive eating. They go on a dieting pathway, and now they think, oh my God, there's something wrong with me. I use psychology, and I'm still obsessing about food. Of course you are, because that's our body's way of surviving. You're going to start having visions and dreams and thoughts of food when you're not getting enough to eat. That is a survival mechanism. There's nothing wrong with you on that. So I, the gaslighting part is, is infuriating to me. You know, And I think Christy Erickson, like predict that well, a few years ago with the wellness diet is the evolution as a consumer or the individual wakes up to diet culture, diet culture will remodel and rebrand it to make it the wellness diet. Absolutely. And you know who actually really did an amazing piece and you go back and read it was Jessica Knowles uh, viral New York times op-ed piece when she described the wellness industry and diet culture as a virus. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) This was, it actually wasn't, it was a year and a half ago before the pandemic hit that it's shape-shifting and life sucking, you know, uh, and and that's the thing I I would be looking at. So one of the the hallmarks to me is self connection. It, it, intuitive eating is putting you at the center. Your experience is actually what what really matters. You're the expert of you, your thoughts, your feelings. You and and I don't know what feels satisfying to you. What's going to appease your hungers uh, and those those types of things. And so it's about getting back to this self connection, which is daunting when we've been in the habit in a culture that says, no, go, go, go follow the guru, go follow this diet plan, go follow this influencer. Oops, 
who happened to have an eating disorder and didn't know it. You know, they were orthorexic. I, I can't tell you how many apologies oh. I've read on this. And I have, I have a heart for these people. But at the same time, this is why there's so much damage when you've got thousands of followers. And then I find out, oops, that this passion was actually an obsession from an eating disorder. And that's causing harm. And so we need to protect ourselves and we need to protect our children you know, from, from, from falling into all of these, these things, this is not without a cost. And again, it's fine to want to, you know, to, to be healthy and seek these kinds of things, but we have to look at it. Am I paying a cost that's too high? My mental health, mental health is part of this picture. So anything that's having you disconnect from your body is a problem. The ultimate solution to being able to distinguish intuitive eating from diet culture is your own embodiment of intuitive eating in your life. Yeah. No one can be the boss of you. Agency. No one can, no one can, can tell you how you feel. And I, that's what I come back to all the time. And it's funny when I'm talking to teenagers about this, oh my God, the healthy rebellion that comes up, no one can be the boss of your body. No one can tell you. I was like, oh, there's this righteousness and we, and we need this. Like, how dare you? How dare you? You know, I would love to see a collective I dare you attitude. <laughs> that would be a great hashtag, right? I dare yeah. you. Yeah. You know, and we start comparing. I see this a lot in, in the patients and the people I train, you know, comparing what they're eating to someone else's eating, the influencer. And it's like, you know, do you do that with peeing? You know, do you go to the bathroom <laughs> and compare how much you pee to somebody else and want that? Ooh. <laughs> That'd be interesting, eh? Yeah, or have guilt, you know, about did I pee too much? Did I pee too little? And I talk about this so much in sessions with patients that they nickname it intuitive peeing. But there's a truth to that because we're still involving the same mechanism in interceptive awareness. You know, we have, you know, actually, actually, we can talk about that for a little bit. It's a good, it's a good model, even though it might be cringy. And that is, we have you know, we have the ability to control when we pee or not, but at some point our biology is going to take over. And if you wait and delay too long, I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but it's like, holy moly, I hope I make it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, and so that, that's the same thing with eating. We need to recognize this is what happens with eating as well. It's, you know, another analogy I use a lot is breath. You know, we, we have the illusion, everything's under our control and we can stop breathing temporarily. You do it long enough, you're going to pass out and your body makes you breathe again. And we need to look at eating is very similar, that if you keep withholding food long enough, your body is going to be so compelling to try and get you to eat. Uh, people will, will view it as, you know, loss of control eating. They'll call it, oh my God, I'm addicted to food. And we know that's not a thing. Uh, when it, no, this is actually a natural compensatory response. No one questions that when you hold your breath for a long time and then you take a big inhale, a big gasp. And we need to have this view with eating you know, that we might be wanting to inhale our food. And I will say uh, it doesn't feel good. It's urgent. It can feel loss of control, but it's a natural compensatory method of when you, when you engage in what I call primal hunger, you've gone too long without eating or haven't had enough to eat. It's, and what we can flip it and say, you know what, my body's working. This doesn't feel so good, but my body is actually working right now. You know, it's interesting because you mentioned the teenager, right? Having this rebellion moment, if we could get to all the teenager and get them in that mindset, they would be yeah. protected, right? Yes. They would be protected from diet culture. But what I want to talk about is the woman who has been affected by diet culture. Yeah. Part of our process for us, the way we approach this, like it's, it's a trifecta. We do mindset, body image, and, and intuitive eating. 
But the whole process is about rebuilding agency, aka empowerment, right? In the common word. Absolutely. And as you were talking, I'm like, the reason I think why it's so successful is because we're rebuilding the capacity to cultivate interoception awareness. I think agency is born of our capacity to connect in our inner world. Well, you're absolutely right. I think that's that's part, that's a, a big part of it yeah. because as you start not only listening to your body, but you also begin trusting these yes. messages and you start responding in a timely manner. That might sound really basic, but what ends up happening, you start you start being consistent with this and your body is consistent in its response and then trust starts to be reconnected. And so I look at diet culture as a huge trust disruptor. And every time you honor hunger with a bite of food, you are rebuilding trust. Every time you honor some type of body sensation, get curious about it and honor what it is that you need, uh, you rebuild trust and you get to a point that you're unshakable. You are rooted mm. like a big redwood tree. And no matter how much diet culture is blowing, you're not impacted. You might shake a little, like I shook a little last week with all that nonsense yes. on the co-opting. My little leaves are kind of like this. <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> but I'm so deeply rooted, do you know? In this but work. I think it's because the nervous system, if we want to get technical here, is the process of intuitive eating when done fully, heal the part of the trauma, right? The, the nervous system. And that's what brings you that grounding element. When your nervous system is connected and healthy, you become pliable, but you'll never lose your roots. Well, yeah. And, and ground like a palm tree, you can swing, but you'll never get off the ground. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that you bring that up. So let's, let's get into that a little, yeah. a little bit deeper. Uh, and I, I'm fascinated. I've done a lot of training in trauma and polyvagal and all that stuff. And, you know, it's funny. I see, I see it's funny. Intuitive eating evolves. It evolves. And I see us in, in, in involving more of that because with, with polyvagal, there's a, there's a term that Stephen Porch has created called neuroception. And that's having aware, that's an, a, lower level of awareness and our nervous system is constantly scanning. Am I safe? Am I safe? And what happens, I find, is that even though we this is happening at the level of unawareness, we know, especially with the work of, of Deb Dana, who's taken Porch's work and really has made it at a practical level and accessible to practitioners, is we start we start feeling the impact. We know when our nervous system is being triggered. We're in we want are we in ventral vagal? Are we in dorsal? Are we in sympathetic? You know, or, or actually I'm, I'm doing a lot of throwing out a lot of terminology, you know, am, am I in flight, fight or freeze? Yes. We start recognizing that and then looking at what is it that I need? What does my nervous system need? Which to me is actually deeper than looking, you know, we've, we've, we've seen a lot around mood and eating, what do you know, what kind of emotion am I feeling? What kind of mood am I in? But actually underneath all of this is, is our nervous system regulation. I think there's something really big about that. And when we, when we are starting to feel safe in our body and safe within ourselves, or we know, you know what, I'm getting away from this diet culture stuff because it's incredibly triggering. I don't want to be involved in the conversation and you can throw up a big old boundary and totally fine, totally acceptable. You don't want it impacting your kids and your family and so on. So yeah, it's profound. It's deeply profound. Yeah. Because intuitive eating at the base of it, it's about creating food safety. Yeah. So when you create that food safety, you give a message to the nervous system, we're safe now. Yeah. And that's healing to the nervous system. Like that, that's the simple formula here. Well, and if you think about it in order to feel hunger, we have to be present. And in order to be present, we need to feel safe, you know, mm. and this sounds very basic and it's not, 
Uh, and even, you know, food safety makes me also think about something deeper, and that's food security. And we have to also look at access, that if someone doesn't have access to food, we, you know, there's a lot more that needs to be, be done here. And it's one of the things I'm looking at with big questions. It's one thing at the individual that we can help heal and empower. So great. Now we've got a nourished mind and body so we can go on and, and fight diet culture, dismantle it and systems of, of oppression, but looking at systems, looking at how can we get more access? How can we make food more available? The fact that any child in the world goes hungry is such a great grievous wrong, you know, and looking at those, those types of things, because if you have, a history of food insecurity. We didn't know if you're going to get fed or not. That actually recreates a trauma. So in, when you're a kid, let's say maybe you did get, you did have food, but you didn't know if it was going to be on the table. It was iffy. And then as an adult, or even as an adolescent, you decide on your own, I'm going to go on a diet. That's recreating that trauma. I'll never forget. I had a patient that said to me many years, I think it's when I really started getting interested in trauma many years ago, uh, said, you know, every time I sit down to eat, I, I have this fear. I'm never going to ever going to eat again. And that's when I started going deeper about, well, about her history. And it turned out that she grew up that way. And it's like, oh, we need the safety. We need to access that today I am an adult, I can take care of myself, I can buy this food if this is all true for you right now. And these points of safety that you're mentioning, that's what we need to be looking at. So this is these are all the nuances. So on the surface, intuitive eating sounds pretty, you know, I've seen people really make it reductionistic. Oh, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. Or yes. just eat, eat whatever the hell you want to. It's like, you know, it's so much more nuanced than that. And I think that's what's so exciting. We keep peeling this onion and we keep we start coming back to your true essence, your true self, and you're not spending all this time distracted in diet culture, uh, which, which takes you away from the meaningful relationships and meaningful pursuits, whatever they are to you. And so it becomes a very great homecoming to yourself, but also the, the energy that, that comes back that you didn't know that wasn't there. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you suddenly there's, you get into a place of, of flourishing, which I just find incredibly uh, exciting, mm -hmm. you know? And that's the last step is the liberation. Like you cannot do liberation work if you haven't been safe and, and healed your own relationship to food. That's why it's so important for a practitioner to do the work yeah. so they can get to this place and then teach it to others. Well, and then with that, and here's where this gets really um, a little, a little deeper nuanced. And that is when you take somebody who's not in a marginalized body and they've, okay. they've made peace with food, they've made peace with their body, they've become an intuitive eater, they go out into the world and they are greeted and celebrated when they eat a cupcake or something. Mm. You take now somebody who's in a marginalized body, let's say a fat body or a black body, and they've made peace with their body eating, they've made peace with their body and they go out into culture and they do not feel safe. They are bullied. There is hostility. There is danger. And it's not the same experience, which is why we need to start looking at getting deeper and dismantling mm. these other systems. And I'll tell you, you know, my, my original vision was about dismantling diet culture. And I feel like I've, I, it just keeps getting bigger. And, and we can't do that. No one person can do this alone. It's going to take you know, uh, coalition building, working with other people with their areas of expertise and so on. I don't, I don't say this to make this daunting to anyone who's listening, but I think it's really helpful to recognize all the powers that are out there and why this sometimes can feel so difficult, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I want intuitive eating to be accessible for all 
bodies. There's no size or shape to intuitive eating. And that's why I get really, mm. really frustrated and actually mad when it gets co-opted or people redefine. Mm. I saw someone redefine one of our principles, uh, that oh, fullness. Did they? They got the guts to do that. I they know. I, could, I was so <laughs> like, livid. Oh my God. What did they just, they describe fullness as, you know, you eat to like, I don't even want to say a number, but it wasn't what fullness was. It was basically eat less food. Okay, that's not fullness. Yes. Fullness is this comfortable, satisfying ending spot. And, you know, one of the biggest misconceptions I've seen with a lot of my patients is that they think fullness is just that point of eating until the absence of hunger. And that's part of it. You, you, you know, you know, hunger is high generally, not always. Uh, and then it goes down and as hunger go down, uh, fullness starts to enter the scene. But if you just stopped at the eating uh, at the absence of of uh, hunger, you're going to be left with this feeling. I, I do this with a lot of my patients in session. I go, if you had, if you know that generally it takes, I don't know, a sandwich and some fruit and dessert or something and something to drink to feel satisfied, like you've had enough to eat. What happens if you just stopped at the halfway mark? You know, you need more food, but are you going to experience that as hunger? That stumps them every single time. Are you going to experience that as hunger? And, and, and the answer is no. Well, then how are you going to, how's that going to manifest in you? How do you know that, what that, and so that, that's another nuance. And usually it, it gets felt as an incompleteness, like I need some more food. And I, and I like going into the weeds with the nuances on there because I've had a lot of people think that you only can eat when you're hungry. And that's not, that's not true. There's all these nuances. And then relatedly, when we start looking at emotions and feelings that we got to take away that the shame from, uh, from, from using food to get through a really tough time, because yes, we want to uh, expand our, our toolbox to have other ways to soothe and, and cope. But sometimes the best thing you can do in that moment is, is to cope with some cookies and hot chocolate or something. And there's no shame in that, but diet, culture puts a lot of shame in those kinds of things. And that's not good for our health. I could geek out with you for hours, but this is where I see for me and my practice, because we do the mindset piece, right? Mm -hmm. We do self-coaching, a form of self-taught CBT. People, as they progress through fullness, they discover a whole array of thoughts. As soon as they start feeling full, their brain gets inundated because their nervous system gets triggered with all kinds of shameful thoughts. What you were talking as shame, learning to manage those thoughts and learning to manage your mind to me is essential in this process as well. Absolutely. In fact, I'll tell you one of my, my most simple, it actually doesn't come from me. It comes from Carol Dweck, who really to me is the founder of, of mindset or growth, the growth, growth mindset. Yeah. And it's a simple word yet. And I do this with my patients and I'll say, try this on. Okay. Uh, I'm not an intuitive eater. You say that I'm not an intuitive eater because I have patients who are frustrated about that versus I'm not an intuitive eater yet. I love that. See, so talk about embodiment. So that's a technique I use, and I have them know to how does it, how does it feel? Both are true, but how does it feel? And this is an example of mind mindset and shifting it. Not yeah, we're we're in the process, you know. Yes. Yeah. We're yeah. learning. Yeah. So we're gonna wrap it up because I want to make this consumable for people. Sure. Not take too long. But let's all go get the book, and Thank especially you. for client. <laughs> It's pretty. I know we're not seeing it on the podcast. It's a pretty little book that I could see fit on your nightstand. 
along with the intuitive eating book. And that's going to take you through the one year journey after reading the book so you can embody intuitive eating and know when it's being co-opted, not for your good. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say there's other themes in there too, like cultivating trust and embodied yes. affirmations and other, other little, little, little nuggets. So thank you for that. It's I'm a very... process. It's a system. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I see it. That book. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for writing it. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Yes. There we go. This was the best. We could have talked for hours, but we have to put an end to this. I wanted to make sure that the interview was palatable and consumable for the vast majority of individuals, but it inspired me. Maybe we're going to do a longer interview in the future and an interview where we're going to geek out even more. Watch for this in the future. In the meantime, go grab Evelyn's book, the link to her book, both of her book are in the show note, the first interview that she was on the podcast as well. And if you're a professional, and you would like to learn to embody intuitive eating in a supervised environment, I would love to see you on the next cohort of our non diet mentorship program for health practitioner. I have a link to the program in the show note and know that it is a waitlist. And it is by application. I love you, my sister, and I'll see you on the next podcast. Hey, you, if you enjoy listening to this show, you have to come and check Conquer and Thrive. It's my monthly coaching program that comes with expert courses that will show you exactly how to take this life-changing work and apply it into your own life. We teach you how to change your mindset, eat intuitively, and master body confidence that you've decided to stop dieting today or years ago, Conquer and Thrive will help you take this knowledge deeper into real life practices. It comes with access to me as your coach and my team of experts. Join us by simply going to www.stephaniedodzie.com forward slash join. I can't wait to meet you inside our Conquer and Thrive community. I'll see you on the other side.